When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com from Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. Doug Maurice now joined by Nathan Baird. We are talking about guys that we have talked with so far from Ohio State. That's going to be Zach Harrison, which we'll do at the end of this pod. That's going to be Ronnie Hickman, who we will do second. And we are going to start off with Cam Brown at cornerback for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Nathan talked to both Ronnie Hickman and Cam Brown on Thursday. I talked to Zach Harrison on Wednesday. As you listen to this... We are interviewing C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba on Friday morning, unless you got up at like 4 o'clock in the morning and started listening to the pod, in which case, man, we love you extra. But Friday morning is the big day. All the quarterbacks, all the receivers talking, and then the workouts all start for everybody after that. So Zach Harrison talked on Wednesday, then the edge rusher, edge rusher started working out on Thursday. So you're kind of like a day behind. So We're going to talk about the interviews. We're going to talk about the workouts, but we're going to have a pod for you on Saturday, which is going to be what CJ Stroud said, what Jackson Smith and Jigba said. As we talked about before, we're very curious to talk to Jackson Smith and Jigba. Hopefully we'll work in some Bryce Young. We'll work in some Jordan Addison, some Quentin Johnston, the guys who are competing with these Buckeyes in the draft for positioning, Nathan. But we're going to start at corner. And we're going to start with Cam Brown. And then we'll add some context to that Ohio State draft corner discussion because we need to do that. But Cam Brown seemed to, he seemed to bring it, right? He came out ready to go. Yeah, I mean, the number one thing he has to answer here is his health. And the biggest thing he can do for himself this weekend in a lot of ways, uh, this week I should say, is just go through everything. Um, and I suppose he'll have his pro day too, so it wouldn't. maybe he'll have to, to, to wait and do that. A lot of guys do. But whatever he can do to prove how healthy he is is an important first step for him. He said today that he had taken MRIs and that they had come back clean that um, you know they put them through a, a sort of a battery of, of, of physical exams. Every, every prospect that comes through the combine goes through those physical exams. And he said that he came out with flying colors, said that physically he's doing great, uh, was asked how healthy he was playing this past season and, and said, oh, I was pretty healthy, but kind of smiled his way through that answer to where you knew that that wasn't the full truth. So that's obviously something he has dealt with. And the tools have sort of always been there to some extent uh, to at least be a, a productive guy. And, and I think he proved some proved himself in a couple of ways the past couple of seasons. And, and especially last year, 2021 season, I thought he played through some things and was a really gritty guy and, and helped them uh, at a crucial time. But to be an NFL guy, I think teams need more assurance that he's going to be on the field. And that's something he can really help himself by by having good performances this week, but but also just looking healthy, looking like he's ready to to go to an NFL camp. He might not get drafted, right? 
Like that's uh, I'm, I'm right. looking at, and this is this is rough this kind of year because there's some draft analysts who really know what they're doing, right? Who who evaluate tape on their own, who talk to a gazillion people. Dane Brugler is a guy like that. Daniel Jeremiah is a guy like that. We we know the people that you trust. They're not maybe yet into the 200s, right? They're not zeroing in on who really is going to go in the sixth and seventh round yet. So there is a, a, a thing called the NFL Mock Draft Database that base, that is doesn't claim to be smart, but it is comprehensive. And they just grab every mock draft in the world and they throw it in this database. And so eh, the early March don't make any bets based off the NFL Mock Draft Database. But right now on that list, Cam Brown is the 41st cornerback. He is player number 322, and that's like not getting drafted. And so I think this would be, this is a big thing for him to show that he is worth a second look, I think, for teams. Because there's a lot of tape over a lot of years, but it's a little bit hit and miss, I think, both from level and consistency of health. And... But if he drops some numbers in workouts, if he's agile, if he jumps, if he's strong, if he's fast, then all of a sudden you take a second look at this guy and maybe you think, okay, this guy mostly was hurt, but there's a really good player in there. So two things. There isn't necessarily a ton of film. I mean, going back to 2020, he was it was the second game of the year when he blew that Achilles out. So barely – and he was, as we just had an argument about on the pod last week, he wasn't a regular player. I mean, he was – he was a he was the nickelback. He came in in situational things with, with that defense, and in twenty twenty one played more, twenty twenty two played more, but still missed a lot of games these past two years. So he doesn't have a ton of film out there. But I think that last attribute that you said, that last factor, is maybe the crucial one. He was asked today what he wanted to run in the forty. He said four two. That is super ambitious. Obviously, I think uh, I was trying to find any time in Ohio State an official Ohio State time at the combine below four three. I remember. Uh, Chris Olave last year did four two six unofficially, and we all lost our minds. And then it turned out that that wasn't as fast as he was actually running there. Um, so the run in the four twos would be kind of crazy. Certainly, if he popped off a time like that, I don't think he's going to be the forty first ranked cornerback anymore. But I think it probably takes something like that, to your point, to really turn heads. He would have to put up a a really outlier number in order to change that opinion. But I think it is still an important week for him. Someone who's trying to get on a roster to show up. And like you said, like, take a second look, like, don't forget about me. Or maybe, maybe you missed me before. Here's, here's who I really am. Don't, you know, make sure you know, make sure I'm getting a look before you move on to the next guy. So this would be good for Ohio state to have a guy go high again. And and there is um some stuff where like there's it's like backwards, right? What you really want is to have had players who were so good and contributed so much to your team and were so talented and skilled that they get drafted high. Like to have a guy who was good but hurt and fine and then get drafted, I don't know what it does, but like they need juice back. They need juice back at corner. And last year, they did not have a cornerback drafted. And that broke a run of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight straight years of having a cornerback 
drafted. And we know a lot of them were very, very high. So just to get back on the board, Nathan, I don't know, maybe we just make Buckeye Talk listeners feel better. But you wrote that coming into the into the combine. You know, you getting a cornerback like, drafted. Hey, once upon a time, all you know, would be good. this was kind of the deal. Um, and it's kind of not the deal right now. And they need it to be the deal again. Yeah, getting a cornerback drafted at all would be a good start. Uh, but they've got to start getting some guys back in the upper rounds of this draft, too. I mean, that was the, the staple of Ohio State's defense for a long time. They haven't had a defensive back. They haven't signed. They haven't had a signing class with a defensive back who then went on to be taken on day one or two of the NFL draft since 2017. That was Jeff Okuda. They haven't had a defensive back go in the top three rounds since then. And that used to be a thing that you would just count on like clockwork for Ohio State cornerbacks, right? Like maybe not every year. There might be a gap here or there or, or safeties mixing the whole group in there. But like they've got to get back to where they get some guys at the upper echelon of this draft. And next year they're going to have some candidates, whether it's it's Denzel Burke, whether it's Jordan Hancock. There are guys who I don't think you look at them right now and say that is a surefire top 100 pick in the NFL draft next year. But there are certainly guys that you look at and say they are – um, they have a springboard to that. They have a they have laid a foundation where they could make that jump. And in Hancock's case, it's not something he's done on the field yet. But the buzz is there. Uh, we talk about the 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 world famous Lattimore Hooker watch list that we do every summer. He's he's going to be headlining that really in a lot of ways. I think because the way he was talked about last year as being such a potential solution for that defense that never materialized. If he gets a healthy runway into 2023, you could see a guy like that maybe blow up and take a big jump, but they've got to do something to get uh, the best defensive backs in the country recruited at Ohio state and developed at Ohio state. Because as we saw last year, you're getting on the field with the best skill position players in the country. And that's how you beat those teams. It didn't really matter that much in the first 11 weeks of the year, but it mattered against Michigan. It mattered against Georgia in terms of determining how games played out. So sometimes things, sometimes this happens and it's no big deal. I'm not giving away any secrets, but they have a board in the Woody with the best testing numbers for guys on the team and like things that have put up there. So I happened to get eyeballs on the board at the Woody recently and Cam Brown's on there. So I will, I will tell you that for instance, three cone shuttle, which is a nice agility drill for guys out like at corner and receiver. He's way up there. Almost as good as Jackson Smith and Jigba, Cam Brown. Pretty good. Doesn't have something on the board that tells you he's going to run 4-2, but they also time 10-yard dash, 20-yard dash, which is that initial burst and acceleration really high for Cam Brown on a loaded roster. I will tell you I'm looking at a thing that says Cam Brown 1, Marvin Harrison Jr. 2 for something, which tells you some stuff. So the idea that there is an athlete in there there is an athlete that is just trying to get healthy yep. to get a chance to show that, listen, this guy's not going to make himself a second-round pick. But watch this testing for this guy because this is one of those, Nathan, where it is that he he just maybe never, never, never really had the chance. And he came out with a big fancy necklace, right? And it's seemingly, from reading what you were texting, enthusiasm about his health. So he's got some swag. I'm ready to go. Watch me what I can do. And I'm healthy. And we sort of don't know what that looks like. So best of luck to this guy. This guy was a big time recruit when they got him. This guy's a top 100 recruit. And maybe he was a little snake bit. And now this is his chance 
to shine. So I do think it feels like, you know, I think there's a, a ceiling to how high he can go based on what his career has been. But this is a guy that, you know, going to be all on the NFL network. He'll be doing stuff on Friday. Maybe keep your eyes and ears open because Cam Brown maybe. And again, I don't, he, he's not, I, he, I would be flabbergasted if he runs 4-2. But when they're doing these agility drills, when they're doing the jump, some of that stuff, which again is that initial burst that it, which is so important. Keep your eyes out. You might be hearing his name, Nathan. This is a guy you might be hearing his name during workouts. I swear to God, I don't look for opportunities to do this, <laughs> to make these parallels. I covered a guy at Purdue named Anthony Brown, who people may know because he's stuck in the NFL for a while. Uh, but he was like not that great of a player at Purdue. And he went to the combine and ran a 4-3-5. And that made him a sixth-round pick of the Cowboys. And he was able to stick in the NFL. And the, the sticking there is more important than the getting drafted in the first place. But it certainly... It, it could Cam Brown show up and run a time or, or put some testing out there that is makes him the guy that teams take late round flyers on? I think that's certainly out there. And I think it's the thing that you mentioned there about the board at the Woody is important as to why someone who maybe isn't ranked that high and isn't on draft, isn't on radars, would get an invite here because Ohio State shows those that data to people, to people in the NFL and says, hey, this guy, I know, you know, he's been injured, he's whatever, but if you're looking for guys who can do this, like legitimately here are these numbers, I think that's probably a reason why he's here this week. So this is a deep cornerback group. John Harbaugh, Baltimore Ravens coach, said from what he's seen, he thinks there's maybe 10 corners that could go in the first two rounds, which is pretty high. I was thinking as I was at John Harbaugh for a while on Wednesday, and it's just a fascinating thing. We were I was asking him some questions about Lamar Jackson, and he's just like an interesting guy to talk about. I, I really like him as a coach. I really like John Harbaugh and what he does, and he just seems to have a lot of it to me. And it, I was just thinking to myself as he talked, because I was a little bit behind a speaker at one point, so I couldn't see his face, but I could hear his voice. And if you're just doing that, it's interesting, because if you ever wondered to yourself, what would Jim Harbaugh be like if he was just a little more normal? And it's like, oh, we know. <laughs> Here, it's this. And John Harbaugh, John Harbaugh was talking about providence and the idea that things that are meant to work out will work out. And he was doing that in regards to the Lamar Jackson contract situation and expressing this belief in his player, this belief in the process, that you know what, you know, good deeds are rewarded. They love each other. This is something that he really hopes works out. He believes in the Ravens. He believes in Lamar Jackson. And his belief, he thinks, will get them through, right? And it honestly is about 82% of the kind of stuff that Jim Harbaugh says. And it's like, man, if Jim Harbaugh just wanted to, just wanted to dial it back a little bit, it is very compelling and so sometimes from the outside when we're like man what's up with this guy it does remind me that okay if that's if he does just dial it back or twist it in a little bit different way with his own guys or maybe his own guys just see it a different way than the people on the outside do john harbaugh is much more willing to let people in by people meeting fans and media than jim harbaugh is so maybe jim harbaugh to his team is john harbaugh and I think John Harbaugh is excellent. Every time I see John Harbaugh, I'm like, why isn't Kevin Stefanski more like that? 
I there's a part of me for the Browns that I just I think in my head, man, if the Lamar Jackson thing goes south and the Ravens are like, you know what, we need a total reset, and the and the the Ravens like they don't even fire him, but they just kind of mutually part ways. If you get John Harbaugh to the Browns, I'd do that yesterday. And if that's what Jim Harbaugh is, I just had a moment, Nathan, that I was like, because I do think what Michigan has done the last two years as a program is excellent and remarkable. And obviously, a lot of credit for that goes to Jim Harbaugh. But individually, personally, the personality, the, the belief, I was like, oh, wait, did I just get it? Did I get why there are people on the inside at Michigan who love Jim Harbaugh because he's closer to his brother when he's in the locker room. Anyway, I just, I really like John Harbaugh and it just, it opened my eyes a little bit, man. It, it, it's fascinating when you're talking about siblings, how alike they can be and how different they can be. And like what, it, how much of the fact that Jim Harbaugh became what he became as an athlete, and John Harbaugh didn't affects the personalities that they have today. Like the, how public Jim Harbaugh had to live in both in college and then in the NFL for a long time in a tough place in Chicago for a while with a tough coach and Mike Ditka. You just wonder how many little instances happened along that way that got us to the space cadet that we now enjoy every year at big 10 media day. So anyway, John Harbaugh talking said, you know, I think there's 10 corners that could go in the first two rounds. He said it's a really deep cornerback class. And it's just interesting, Nathan, to Mm -hmm. look at that because there are like familiar dudes in there. And when you think about where Ohio State is not right now in terms of cornerback talent that is being pushed out into the NFL draft, there are 10 Big Ten, just 10 Big Ten corners that are ranked ahead of Cam Brown on this draft database kind of thing because Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State is going in the first two rounds. Devin Witherspoon from Illinois might go in the top 15. There are Rutgers yeah, guys up higher. there. There are Maryland guys up there. DJ Turner from Michigan might make it into yep. the back end of the second round. It is it is again a well, reminder and a bit of an oddity, Nathan, to see all these guys that Ohio State fans are familiar with. Keely Ringo of Georgia is in there. Clark Phillips of Utah is in there. And there isn't an Ohio State. I know. There isn't an Ohio State guy at that level. And the two guys, again, people know this, but when you look back at the Ohio State cornerback recruiting from 2019 and 2020, which is would be fourth year guys coming out and third year guys coming out right now. It's a reminder. This was not a failure. And I think this in the end is a positive sign for Ohio State. Because this was not a failure of cornerback development. It was a failure of cornerback recruiting. It's not like they got a bunch of top 100 (laughs) players in at corner and then turned them into NFL free agents. In the 2019 class, the fourth-year guys, they did not have a cornerback. They wound up with that class, no corners. Jordan Battle from Alabama, who was kind of a corner, kind of a safety, played safety at Bama, is now going to be a top 100 guy in this draft. He was a huge decommit from Ohio State. I think one of the bigger decommits from Ohio State that I've been around in 18 years. That was a big loss. He he winds up being a safety in college anyway. But anyway, he's borderline. But still, they, they would have loved to have Jordan Battle anywhere in the field of Ohio State. And then 2020, the three corners they signed, Ryan Watts, Cam Martinez, whatever he was, 
whatever you thought he might be. If they thought he'd be in the secondary, and he is, he's a slot corner now, nickel safety, and legend Cavazos. But it's really Watson Cavazos and Clark Phillips flips late because Jeff Halfley leaves. He goes to Utah. Clark Phillips, maybe back end of the first round, probably middle of the second round, was a really, really, really good college player that Ohio State fans are very aware of at Utah. But Nathan, you smiled when it's like, hey, at least your failure was the good kind of failure. Isn't it better that they failed in recruiting and you think, okay, we'll just get better players in and you'll have better players out rather than saying, oh, they were getting the exact same kind of recruits they always got, but the process failed once they got to campus. That's a fantastic question. Because the uh, the counter argument is that if you recruit a higher caliber of player, then even if you don't coach them up to their full potential, maybe you still get a better player as a result. Do you understand? Like like you're you're taking a player from here to here, but if you recruit a guy from here and you only take and you take him that same jump, it's still make it's still a better player. I don't know. Uh, I understand what you're saying though. That in some of this was they corrected the problems. Like losing Clark Phillips under the Jeff Halfley circumstances was not a problem that had to be corrected. It was just one of those things that happens in recruiting when a coach leaves. They got really bit by it in a way that they don't always get bit by it. This was it was just like the worst position for it to happen. At, like like if a receiver had left, now it have to be the right receiver. Obviously, if they had had Harrison or Jackson, but you know what I'm saying. Like if if one of the the four freshmen that came in last year were to have left in recruiting for some reason, it wouldn't have killed them. This losing this cornerback killed them, and it really hurts them now to this day. Like this is kind of the the ghost of cornerback problems past, and and this draft experience will be the last that Ohio State has to kind of live through the the Clark Phillips thing. But it's going to be there now through April, and that that thing that's happening at the same time as Ohio state is trying to solidify that cornerback room this spring is an interesting dichotomy. And they've got to figure something out by the end of April, by the end of April, they, they, but at the same time, last year, I think they thought they did last year. I think they thought Denzel Burke was still solid. And now we've got Jordan Hancock coming and Cam Brown is all the things we said about Cam Brown and he's in the mix and Hey, who knows? Jaquelin Johnson could still keep improving. Like there was supposed to be something coming out of last spring and then it, the opposite happened. It was 180 degrees opposite in the fall. So I think the development is the piece that is missing the most right now, like uh, because they didn't get those top 100 guys. Well, but so I guess it depends where, where we're evaluating the failure. If we're evaluating it right now, as we stand at the combine and say, why aren't there Ohio state corners? Why aren't there any in the top 300? That was, yes. Looking backwards. You would rather have it be that, oh, we have these two terrible years of cornerback recruiting, and that's why. Right? In the process, I, right. I just they take such pride in but their next development. Next year, that's not the answer. Yeah. Which is which is the next thing. That Jordan Hancock right. and J.K. Johnson, who will both be eligible to be at this combine a year from now, were the solutions to two down years of cornerback recruiting because they were both top 100 national players. One of them has already left. One of them has an... One of them has been so hurt, he's barely done anything on the field. So now if we are here a year from now, it would be a different issue. But but if you look at the 19 and 20 classes, and, and you, you would say, 
why isn't Legend Cavazos going to be a top 100 pick in this draft? It's like, well, I don't know. He was in the 350s. He transferred. They gave him exactly. a chance to yeah. play. He didn't cut it. Right. He left. Like, that's – that's and and the reason is because they didn't recruit better players ahead of him in the class of 2020. The best one they had was Clark Phillips. They identified that guy. They had him. They lost him because Halfley left. And then you could only take those guys so far. They tried to develop Watson Cavazos. They, they desperately needed both of them. Both of them weren't quite good, good enough. They went to other schools, watched the Texas Cavazos to North Carolina. They're still college football players. They just aren't at the Ohio State level that they needed. Yeah. So it's an, it's an odd dip, but it's a dip we've all been aware of. It's a dip that we've all talked about. It's a dip they had to rectify. It's a dip they did rectify, at least on the way in, because the recruiting at corner got back to what it should be. And now this is the last remnant of this dip. So the reason that Ohio State is here with corners in this draft, it's the same reason they sort of struggled at corner for the past couple of years, and we know exactly why. But it's over. And now, yeah. if they do not get back to a place that is having a corner drafted every year, it's not this anymore. Because this was... Taver Johnson at the end of Urban didn't get it done. The crossover from Urban to Ryan Day costs you a little bit. Halfley comes in. He's only here for a year, right? There's multiple things that caused instability, generally in the program, specifically at corner, that led to a dip in cornerback recruiting. And then they got some of that figured out, and they fixed that part of it. And so now... If they don't get it back from a draft perspective, and we're at the draft, so we're talking about it from a draft perspective, then it's a new problem. This is the end of this problem. But for anybody who has any kind of memory of Ohio State football, the idea that Ohio State's best cornerback prospect is number 41 on the list of corners, and there are guys from Rutgers and Illinois and Michigan and Maryland and all over the place ahead of them. Is a little weird. It, yeah, it's a little weird. And the best, the best cornerback prospect in the program, like if if Denzel Burke were here, would he be ranked higher than that? He would, right? Like so, it's it's in the program they do have some better than that. But even those guys are right now not like like I said before, like they're not absolute locks to be picked at the, at the top of this draft next year. And and so that's where I think we are at that crossover moment where like okay. As you said, like the failures of recruiting are now the past thing. And now there is a, a big, uh, there's a lot of scrutiny on development. Like they, they think they have the athletes now. They just went and got David Igbenosan too, who is a guy with that looked very capable in his first year in the SEC. Like that they've populated that room with talent. And now it's a matter of somebody's got to be developed to a, a level greater than what we've seen on the field for Ohio State. And I would argue like either any of the past three seasons. I do think it's interesting. This is a little bit of a good sign. Maybe. I don't know. Martin Emerson, who was drafted in the third round by the Browns a year ago out of Mississippi State as a corner, had a very productive rookie year for the Browns as a third round corner. Emmanuel Forbes is a name who is probably one going to be one of these corners drafted in the first two rounds. He's out of Mississippi State in this draft. And so if Devin Igbenosan, like, okay, he left. There's a little bit. Mississippi State's had better corners the past two years than Ohio State has. And he left that to come here. 
And guess what? You know who counts for Ohio State's cornerback list of draftees? Kendall Sheffield. He didn't start his career at Ohio State. He was a five-round guy who I think was at Bama and then went to a junior college, then came here, was a good player for Ohio State. Wasn't a first-rounder, was a good player, was a fourth-round pick, has stayed in the NFL. That's all right. So maybe Igbenosin is going to help rectify this. So if you say in, in a year or two, now you're at a point where Hancock's been here and Burke's been here and here being the combine, and Igbenosin's been here, it's like, okay. Now you're back because just for the history, just for the people have it so they can take it and put it in their pocket, Chimdi Chekwa drafted in 2011 in the fourth round. Does a podcast now in and around Ohio State coverage. Good guy. Really smart. Chimdi Chekwa drafted in 2011. No corners drafted for Ohio State in 12 or 13. Then the eight-year run. 2014, Bradley Roby in round one. 2015, Durant Grant in round four. 2016, Eli Apple in round one. 2017, both Marshawn Lattimore and Garyon Conley in round one. 2018, Denzel Ward round one. 2019, Kendall Sheffield round four. 2020, Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett both round one. 2021, Sean Wade round five. That's eight straight years of cornerbacks drafted. None in 2022. And we'll see, Nathan, for 2023. And we won't know until the testing. We could say, all right, let's mark it down. Let's mark it down Friday. Will Cam Brown be drafted? We have no idea, but we do think that what he does in testing will have a great effect on that. Was there anything else that he said at the podium during his session about himself, about the Ohio State cornerback room as currently constituted, about Tim Walton, about anything going on in Ohio State that you want to share? Yeah, a lot about Tim Walton, actually, that I thought was Interesting because, you know, this is a, a big year for Walton coming in as secondary coach last year and then having the cornerbacks, which are really his main focus, struggle the way they did, I think, puts some scrutiny on him in this coming year. Uh, but he he has a long relationship that goes back with the, the Walton family. Tim Walton had been the defensive coordinator for the Rams for one year, I think had some some roots in St. Louis, Cam Brown. Um, said that Walton's son was one of his close friends. And he the way he said it this year is that Walton changed his life by things he taught him this year about football, that he simplified the game for him a lot, kind of made him look at the game from a, a different perspective as far as things with you know the angles to play and, and other aspects like that. And we didn't get to see that again a lot on the field this year because he was so banged up so much. But that's one indication that maybe there is that, you know, I think the the way things collapsed on this defensive, on the cornerback group early this past year was a surprise to everybody. The injury, not, not, not completely, I guess, maybe to the coaches because he knew the injuries had screwed things up, but when it, the way that it went South and then having to try to dig out of that hole, um, set a bad tone for this past year. And now what can Tim Walton do with his NFL background? I mean, we're standing here talking about how does Ohio state get guys to the NFL Tim Walton's got a long NFL background. Tim Walton knows what an NFL cornerback looks like. So what can he do with, again, these guys who are so seem to be so adjacent to playing at a very high level? How does he push them there, sustain it? And what does it mean for the level of play that they get out of that room? Because, again, it's you got to go back. It, it's going on three years now, really, where cornerback play, if it wasn't a problem, it was at least underwhelming a lot of times. All right. First break on Buckeye Talk when we come back. Ronnie Hickman, what he had to say at the Combine. We'll do that next after this. Doug and Nathan back. Ronnie Hickman ranked higher among the safeties than Cam Brown is among the corners. On this mock draft database, he's 10th 
among safeties. Brian Branch from Alabama seems like the consensus number one safety. Some other names in there that you'd know. Brandon Joseph, I know that you talked to him, Nathan. We can talk a little bit about that. Started his career at Northwestern, played against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game in 2020, finished his career at Notre Dame. Uh, Jair Brown from Penn State is a guy that's gotten a lot of attention lately. A lot of people really like him. Chris Smith, who I just thought was a great player at Georgia this year, sort of the captain of that Georgia defense. But Ronnie Hickman projected at the moment as the number 142 overall player in these mock drafts, uh, the number 10 safety. What did Ronnie Hickman have to say on Thursday, Nathan? So the main thing I wanted to ask Ronnie Hickman about, because again, those numbers tell you about where he would probably be, maybe looking at trying to maybe get in the fourth round. I don't know if he can push into that top 100 conversation. He would have to test really well here this week, probably. Um, but I wanted to kind of get his perspective on the trip that he took through Ohio State, the journey he took at Ohio State, and how it may be a benefit to him at this point, because there are things that were not a benefit to him at the time he was at Ohio State, playing under five different defensive coordinators over the course of those five years uh, doesn't isn't a good thing isn't a positive thing really and and moving around bouncing around the way he did I guess could be a positive thing but you gotta remember he came in at a time 2018 Ohio State is still a two high safety system 2019 they go to the single high safety system when Ryan Day comes in they're still using that in in 2020 um 2021 uh he now moves over and becomes the bullet in in that whole like mangled up system and then 2022 now he's the adjuster i mean it, it went through a, a just a a rolodex of the different things that he um was asked to do over the course of his career even though it's it's all as a safety it was still i think enough versatility in there and i, I all of those things it sounded like have come up when the way he's talked to teams. I asked him specifically about, you know, having played for so many coordinators and, and, and secondary coaches. And he said, yeah, I mean, I I've told teams straight up, like whatever you need me, as far as like learning a playbook, learning a system, adjusting to a new system. Like that's, that's what I do. That's what I've done every year here. He's gotten used to that. And he thinks that that could be an asset as he's trying to, you know, stick on a roster going forward. Um, and, and just, also being equally comfortable really at, at either safety position from his perspective. Um, you know, there's times when guys have been here and, you know, Jordan Fuller, you could say, well, that's a very specific kind of safety, you know, where he'll fit in the NFL for Hickman. I think he's trying to uh, in, in a, in a positive way, kind of ride both sides and, and tell teams, convince teams that he could be a, a, a more of a free safety and more of a strong safety, do either of those things that he needs to. I think the strong safety would be a little bit of a tougher ask at the NFL level, with his size, but um, he did play in the box a decent amount at Ohio State. That's a high level, so that may be something he can he can convince him of in this process. You know, he might remind me of, a, of another Ronnie H. Ronnie Harrison is a guy who kind of has mm-hmm. been a solid safety for the Browns the past couple of years. He was a third-round pick out of Florida State coming out, then got traded to the Browns after two years for a fifth-round pick. And has never been expected to be the Browns' best safety. You know, the Browns drafted Grant Delpit. They signed John Johnson III to a huge contract that didn't work out. But Ronnie Harrison's, like, been around. And, like, his first year in Cleveland, he was one of their better defensive players. So, to me, like, if a guy like Ronnie Harrison can sort of fit in and move around and do different things, I can see Ronnie Hickman doing that in the NFL. That if Ronnie Hickman, maybe he's your ninth or tenth best starter, but he, he can start. Or he's your 
third or fourth safety who can play multiple spots, come in on third down, do some different things. I could definitely see him fitting in like that. I will say this I did this I, five defensive coordinators in five years sounds like the kind of thing that comes up at the combine for guys who come from disasters of a program, right? Whether right. it's like right. a small school or whether it's like a you know, like Auburn or something's like, oh, Auburn, like Auburn's always on fire or Texas, like established programs that are constantly firing coaches and weird stuff is happening. But 2018, Greg Schiano, the end of urban eh. mm-hmm. 2019, Jeff Halfley, good, but gone 2020, Kerry Combs, Kerry Combs to start 2021 gets demoted after week two, Matt Barnes takes over calling the plays in 2021. And then Jim Knowles in 2022, I don't know, man. That's a nice reminder that Ohio State's been kind of a mess defensively for the past half decade. Well, and again, but also his specific position coach has has changed around in that time, too. I mean, 2018, then Halfley comes in in 2019. Then they bring Kerry Combs back, and and Matt Barnes is in that situation, and then finally Perry Eliano this past year. But yeah, I mean, there's been, and, and that part of it, the position coach of it, even at a place like Ohio State, maybe guys would cycle through. That is still a little bit frequent for a place like Ohio State, but that's a little bit more understandable. But the the, the defensive coordinators to be to have had to kind of learn five new systems, and that's not completely accurate because Day made Combs keep the single high system when he took over in 2020, and it was still the remnants of that were still around in 2021. But to to some extent, learning or being under five different approaches certainly to to coordinating a defense over the course of five years is again it, it wasn't good for Ohio State at the moment I think it's an asset for Ronnie Hickman now as in any of these defensive players I suppose but, but I mean maybe especially for the defensive backs as they're trying to assimilate into whatever program they franchise they end up with in the NFL even caught a little Alex Grinch early on 2018 Alex Grinch was yep, the yep. safeties coach yep that guy will mess you up uh, so anyway, so I, you know, Ronnie Hickman, th- there are some guys here and we'll get to Zach Harrison in a second, but there are some guys here for Ohio state who are sort of good, solid veteran been around football players that I don't know what else to say anymore <laughs> about these guys, but there can be a thing, Nathan, where, you know, who might like good, solid, dependable football players, the NFL, because they don't do anything wrong. On the field, they do a lot right. They're smart. They work hard. They deal with stuff, and they produce. And I think the first three guys that we have talked to here, if it's like, okay, time to write an award-winning story on Zach Harrison, Ronnie Hickman, or Cam Brown. I'd be like, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's probably just not there. Because you know what they do? They just play football pretty well. Mm-hmm. Not spectacularly, but pretty darn well. And these are all three guys that we're talking about in this first Combine pod that like kind of just play football. And in a world where the best player at the Combine had to leave because he had an arrest warrant out, and then come back, you know what kind of could be reassuring? Just guys who just do what they're supposed to do. And I think in their own ways, Hickman and Brown and Harrison all fill that 
which can be like kind of no nonsense. Hey, if we write this guy's name down, if he's there in the third round or the fourth round or the sixth round, we'll feel good about it. And he'll come and probably make the team and then be in the locker room and do his job. It has value. It, it has real value. And you've got, I think in all three of those cases, I think they have Ohio State's coaching staff um, has their back and it would probably be, you know, talking them up to the, the people who are evaluating them this week and, and overall. To get back to Hickman and Brown specifically, though, it takes us back to the discussion we were having before, not to completely rehash it, but I wrote a piece for the site for Thursday morning that was kind of talking about that. Um, it, it was it was under the guise of this thing I had written a couple years ago about whether Ohio State should call itself DBU and how they're really drifting away from contending for that by the way things have gone these last couple of years. And my point being that this is not the fault of people like Ronnie Hickman and Cam Brown, who did a lot of really good things for this team the last couple of years. It's not their fault that they are the best that Ohio State is offering from an NFL perspective right now as defensive backs. They, they, you know, Brown was held back by injury, but I would argue that Hickman and Brown, maybe both, uh, certainly in Hickman's case, like maximized what they were supposed to be at the college level, maximized what they were supposed to. I mean, he led Ohio State in tackles one year as a two-year starter. He helped the team get to the playoffs, helped the team, you know, win the Rose Bowl or whatever. I mean, like he did a lot of good things. And But that's that shouldn't be the guys who are the like shining example of what's coming out of the secondary at Ohio State. And it that's it's this is where the ceiling has been for like three years. So, I, but I back to your larger point. I, I think there are definitely comparable guys who, I mean, Jordan Fuller was another one in a lot of ways, right? The, the guy we already mentioned, like that 2019 defense, he got his props for being an important part of a really, really good defense, but he went in the sixth round of the NFL draft for a reason. People didn't necessarily see an athletic upside or whatever, but all he did was go to the NFL and just keep doing a lot of the things that made him valuable at Ohio State and in the right franchise, right system that made him valuable in the NFL too. So I do have an announcement to make. This was kind of a big, a big deal for me because it had not happened before. And it it told me something and it meant something to me. So I put in like a 15 or 16 hour day on Wednesday. So I was gassed. So I didn't go over on Thursday. I let you handle all the Ohio State guys. I told you I'm going to work from the room. So I was writing some stuff. I did a podcast, uh, but I did take a nap and I needed a nap. I was zonked. And during my nap, I had a dream that I was doing a podcast and I was falling asleep during the podcast. (laughs) And so in my dream, I was waking up in my dream and being like, oh man, sorry, I fell asleep during the podcast. And that is the first time that has happened to me. And I think people say, right, you know, you're really fluent in a new language when you start to dream in that language. And I feel like finally, here we are eight years in, I'm officially fluent in podcast because I dreamt about a podcast. And when I was a in the summers in college, Nathan, I was a busboy and a waiter. And it would happen to me a lot that I would be sleeping in the middle of the night and I would wake up and think that I was at work. And I would think, oh, my gosh, I'm sleeping at work and my tables need stuff. And inevitably, I would not realize that I wasn't at work. I would just decide the heck with those people, I'm exhausted, and go back to sleep and be like, they can get their own iced tea refills. They'll live. And so I had done that, but I had never done that with podcasting. And so this is a seminal moment for me. And now all I have to do is bring it back around and actually fall asleep during a podcast, which we all can look forward to eventually happening. 
Well, this should really blow your mind. What if we started recording this podcast and then you fell asleep and now you're just dreaming that this is the podcast you're recording, but actually you're asleep? If this is my dream, just kill me. <laughs> just, like, oh. If this is your dream, hopefully a maid comes in and just smothers you with the pillow. <laughs> there are just people are standing Basically around and just going, uh, combine. <laughs> Uh, 40 <laughs> times. It's like, that's what he's dreaming about, this poor man. So anyway, that was, uh, but I was excited. And and again, it was, uh, it's weird to wake up in your dream, but at least I woke up during that podcast. So, okay. Anything else that Ronnie Hickman said that you want to inform our Buckeye Talk viewers about before we move on to Zach Harrison? So we were asking both Hickman and Brown uh, their impressions of the quarterback situation. I also asked them their, their impressions of the the secondary that they're leaving behind and what's going to come up for Ohio state, but it's specifically with the quarterback situation. And, and he wasn't asked, he was asked specifically about Kyle McCord first. And his response to that was don't sleep on Kyle. Don't sleep on Kyle McCord, uh, which I think maybe people are hearing a little bit of the, you know, uh, the, the handicapping that's going on out there and, and the, the, the differences between McCord and Devin Brown and, how they match up and and maybe you know maybe Brown has a little more juice because he's the new guy and is is coming up but uh, and and I don't think Hickman was necessarily like lobbying on behalf of Kamakor but it was more just a thing to say like don't forget how good Kamakor is don't forget he can really sling it was his term that he can put the ball where it needs to be like and those are always important things because we don't get to see, as we've talked about nauseam, we don't get to see McCord and Brown and any of these guys throw that much unless it's in games or in maybe the spring game. Like we just don't get practice time to watch these guys throw. And when those, when you hear players confidently talk about attributes that these guys have, it just hits your ears. Like it, 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 it means something because that is the closest thing we get to like a, a, a true scouting report. So to, the fact that he has been doing things that have impressed the players at Ohio State who are now going to try to go play in the NFL, I think is important. Not that Devin Brown didn't also. I mean, he said complimentary things too about Devin Brown and his arm strength. And, you know, Cam Brown, I asked about from a from a leadership standpoint, how important is I think that's another aspect of this is how these guys are received around the team in the locker room, that sort of thing. How important is that? And how did Brown and McCord demonstrate that? And and Brown said that he thought they took good cues from CJ Stroud, who was the kind of guy who didn't necessarily start off the most vocal, but once it was his job, you know, he could go into a practice and and have success against the defense and then kind of get on the defense in the right way to like, hey, here, you fix this problem because he knew that that was something that was going to make the team win on Saturdays. So that he thought that they were taking good cues from him and the kind of the leadership standard that he set here the last couple of years. Did you text something about somebody saying something about Denzel Burke having good vibes about what might be ahead for him. Yeah. So yeah, that was from Cam Brown. Cause like I said, we asked most of the, the, the primary people in secondary, we got some questions in on them. I'll try to run down that through memory, but, but Denzel Burke, he, um, you know, Brown said that he had been talking to the coaches there and that he had a, I think it was quote was a different mindset coming into this year. And obviously things were just, there were injuries and things involved last year, but it sounded like he was also intimating that, um, you know, uh, he got thrown to the fire a little bit as a freshman and then it went pretty well and almost to the point where I, I wonder if the the attention he was getting maybe 
got in the way a little bit. I don't know. I'm putting words in his mouth when I say, but that's just the impression. I'm trying to read between the lines a little bit and that maybe he now is a little bit more grounded coming in this year, but also knows how good he can be. He played some of his better football at the end of the season. I, you know, We stopped talking at some point during the year about how bad the cornerback play was because it got better, especially in the case of Denzel Burke. I thought you saw the, the, the massive lapses that were happening earlier this year, and it made it a low bar for him to clear. But those weren't happening late in the year. I thought he was he showed up pretty well even against Georgia in the, Nash, in, the in the semifinals. Um, so I think that was – we'll see how things go this fall. It may be a thing that we look back and say that some of those experiences were a little bit transformative for him figuring some things out. Um, I asked Ronnie Hickman because he brought up Josh Proctor at one point when he was just running down the list of, of people. And I asked, like, were you surprised that he decided to come back? And he said that, no, that like, you know, he's obviously a guy who uh, just hasn't worked out for him yet. But the, he thinks that that is still ahead of him, that there's still maybe a place for him in this defense where he can make a contribution and 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 be a guy who could be back at the NFL Combine a, a year from now. And then obviously um, the, pe- the ones people want to know the most about are Sonny Styles, Kai Stokes, and, and Hickman was ob- as as complimentary about them as anybody else has been. You know, hinted that the Styles with his size might be a guy that makes more sense in, in a box situation. So is that an indication that maybe he'd be more of a fit at Bandit than adjuster in the Jim Knowles system? I think we've all assumed that all along. But that he he and Kai Stokes both like um, kind of sky's the limit for both of those guys. He he thinks a lot of those second year guys and. Uh, they're going to need those kind of guys are going to need to be good like this this secondary the defense as a whole but especially that secondary is really just waiting for what we talked about in the first segment they're waiting for that guy though that guy or guys to just show up and just be just be NFL guys in in the back end of this defense it's been missing and they there's candidates there it's just a matter of which one steps up first all right that's some good secondary conversation third up on the podcast Zach Harrison. We'll talk about him next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back to talk about Zach Harrison, who actually spoke with the media on Wednesday. I was there for that, and we were going to hold off and record about Zach Harrison after the testing that is taking place on Thursday, late afternoon and evening for the defensive linemen. So guys like Brian Brzee from Clemson laid down a fast 40. There's a pit defensive tackle that ran really fast, so everybody's having Aaron Donald conniptions right now. But uh, Zach Harrison, we thought when I talked, when he talked to us on Wednesday, Nathan, he was talking about testing and was talking about putting up good testing numbers. But now here we are with reports that maybe he tweaked a hamstring. So he is not testing at the combine. And that was not his plan. But then that means, if people don't know it, pro day, March 22nd in Columbus, where a lot of guys wait and you do it at your pro day anyway. So this is not a big deal for Zach Harrison, but also was not his plan. No, it was not his plan. He, he, and he had, he had measured well. We can talk about that in a second. So they I mean, that was a, 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 a positive thing for him, but it's not like people didn't already know he had long arms and was tall. <laughs> like you can already see that it's the, you know, the, the measurements that you get when you go out and do the drills and run the 40 and stuff that can be where you surprise people and you show them something they didn't necessarily know in a black and white way. So uh, it's unfortunate. Um, I, you know, kids get, again, from listening to yesterday, it sounded like he was excited to, to, to show out a little bit, but um, again, not uncommon. Like you said, a lot of guys do this stuff at the pro day. So I do think the numbers are going to matter for him. And I think it's possible they'll matter like and not. 
the best way because the and, and you don't know. You don't know. I think he might be fast and strong. Buckeye talk. I think I think I'm curious about his flexibility and agility. And that seems to be just mm-hmm. when you you, know, you listen to draft analysts, we watch this guy for four years. Is he a very good football player? He is. Does he have the bend around the edge of the Boses and Chase Young? Doesn't seem like it. Right. So that kind of thing where it feels, you know, Miles Garrett's the number one pick in the draft. I think Miles Garrett could fold himself in half and put himself in a suitcase if he had to. That guy has ridiculous bend. I don't know that that's Zach Harrison's game, but he's tall and he's long and he's physical and he's a run stopper. And so I will be curious where he ends up in some of the shuttle drills, in some of the, you know, some of the jumps again that measure some of that explosion. So um, I would imagine this might be a guy that might do very well in the bench press, that kind of thing. I think maybe straight line speed will be pretty good. But I I do think some of these numbers, when he does test at Pro Day, Nathan, will matter to him. And also the fluidity of the, the drills they put you through and they're having you run from side to side and you're out in the middle of the field by yourself with a bunch of eyeballs on you. How fluid do you look? I do think that'll matter for Zach Harrison. Yeah, I think Zach Harrison being fast and strong is a sure enough – uh, outcome that you can put one of your three dollar bets down on that and be pretty safe. But unlike someone like Cam Brown, who who is is trying to get that second look, like they, people have already had like second, third, fourth looks at Zach Harrison. You as you texted yesterday, one thousand six hundred seventy eight defensive snaps. Like that is a long body of work for people to have studied over the over the years. And a guy who was already on NFL radar is probably coming out of high school as a five star prospect. And those. Snaps, I think, tell you some of the things that the testing was probably not going to necessarily dispel about, like not having a lot of bend off the edge and, and that just not being the the strength that uh, of his game. And I think there's a place in the NFL for him. I think he'd be a productive player in the NFL, but he's um, has not yet shown that he's going to be a a, a big edge rusher. And uh, I don't know that the testing was going to make anybody think, oh, because he ran this shuttle time that is more important than the 1,678 snaps he played for Ohio State. No, I, I, I think that's right. The list, again, using this mock draft database, has him as the number 76 overall player, number 14 edge guy. There's some familiar guys ahead of him. We know Will Anderson is going to be the first edge guy off the board out of Alabama. With the Jalen Carter issues, he might end up being the first defensive player drafted. I think he'll go in the top five. Uh, Miles Murphy from Clemson is a guy that people remember. This Tyree Wilson guy from Texas Tech is someone draft analysts are talking a lot about. Lucas Van Ness from Iowa. I think maybe, you know, yeah, Jack Campbell at linebacker had Riley Moss. But Lucas Van Ness as an edge guy from Iowa might be a first-round pick. That might not be something that was front of mind necessarily for Ohio State fans. Um, Isaiah Foskey, Ohio State handled him decently well, the Notre Dame edge guy. He was there in week one. He's ranked higher than Zach Harrison. And then uh, I want to get the name right. Adetamiwa Adabare from Northwestern, who destroyed Ohio State in the Ohio State-Northwestern game. On this mock draft database, he's listed one spot ahead of Zach Harrison. He's the number 71 player. Zach Harrison is number 76. That's an interesting thing to watch. But I think even within that, Nathan, I think that's an interesting comparison because – you're at Northwestern, and you're not surrounded by as much talent. But that guy was a problem against Ohio State on that very windy day in a way that 
I don't know that we remember Zach Harrison being a problem for an opponent on a Saturday in quite the same way. That is not a criticism of Zach Harrison. He is a very good player. It felt like Atabare blew up that game. And so it's one of these things. There's a consistency with Zach Harrison. There's a four-year record with Zach Harrison. But I do think, you know, if you're looking at someone's best tape, here's the 20 best plays this guy ever made. I think you could probably pick six or seven out of the Northwestern Ohio State game for Atabare. Yeah, I mean, that's the the best example of a guy who probably made himself some money by what he did against Ohio State this year. One of the best examples. Uh, I would push back a little bit. I thought you did feel, we did feel, Zach Harrison more this year than we had ever felt him before. I thought there were a couple of games. I thought the Iowa game. I thought the Maryland game. Uh, he, I, he just, the, the, that, that kind of just tangible presence the was there in a way that it hadn't been before I, I started to but but only so much in a way that it's it's uh, the same way that we did last year I guess for Tyree Smith at times where he had like that run of like three or four games where he you really thought that he was playing some great football but it wasn't as sustained and then he obviously had a lot of injury things over the course of his career I think Zach Harrison is a better NFL draft prospect than that I think just from his just from what he is physically First of all, frankly, um, I mean, again, like the, the arm length that he had today, the wingspan he had today, some of the best numbers, not just this year, but like in the history of the of the combine from from for at least for his position. Um, so those things do matter. I think NFL teams will look at him and say that's something with his baseline that they can mold into to something that is a, a, a an asset at the next level. But. Uh, I think that also does put a little bit of a ceiling on probably what they're expecting out of them at the next level. So you mentioned those measurements. Do you have them there? Long arms, right? I do. Not not quite DeJuan Jones-esque, but close. So 36 and a quarter inches uh, for arm length. There is a site called Mock Draftable that has a database. I want to give a shout out to 11 Warriors Dan Hope for pointing me towards that because he had cited some numbers. I said, hey, where, where, is that just like your own? Because I actually wouldn't put it past Dan Hope to just have like a notebook at home with all of the the top NFL combine performances over the past ever. But he said, no, no, I, I found it on this website. According to that, it's the longest arm length for any player at the combine since 2020. It's the longest for a defensive lineman since 2014. It's it's And one of the best, I think it, there's only been like I don't know, 10 or so that are higher than that. Only 10 arm lengths greater than 36 and a quarter recorded at the combine. So a, a long-armed guy, uh, the wingspan was 85 and a half inches. And both of those are, from what I could tell, according to that website, the best for an Ohio State player in the history of the combine. But both of them will not be that by the end of the week because Dewan Jones already has arm length of uh, not that much longer, actually, only like 36 and 5'8". So that tells you a little bit of something about Zach Harrison's arm length, um, that he has one that's just about the same as a guy who's six eight, but uh, but his uh, the the, the Dewan Jones should probably end this week with the longest wingspan in the history of the combine. The one he had at the Senior Bowl was like an inch longer than what this site says is the previous best at the combine. But it does tell you, I mean, it, it's why Zach Harrison was an effective player, like you know the, the athleticism that he has and just that that length and now it's 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 tangible it's not just like good length it's like elite length and they have it in black and white in front of them so i i do think i'm curious about this so taekwon lewis really good player at ohio state was the last pick 
in the second round. And I, that's been a guide a little bit for me. That's in the 2018 draft. That's a defensive end. I do. Tyquan Lewis was probably more productive than Zach Harrison. Was he a better player? I, I think similar. Tyquan Lewis was the Big Ten defensive lineman of the year. One year, but he also like got to play with the Boses, so he never had to be the best guy on the field. So that's really, really helpful when you're trying to do that kind of thing. He he did, I think, produce more, but I think that's a right range for him. Tyreek Smith, I think, went lower in the draft than yep. many of us thought he would. He lasted until the fifth round, pick 158 in Seattle. And then did he was he hurt a little bit in his rookie year? Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. 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 So we didn't really get to see if that's like, oh, Coop, Jonathan Cooper lasted until the seventh round and has been far, 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 far more productive than a seventh round pick. So, uh, you know, I do think there is some, uh, there's some decent comparisons here among Ohio State guys. You know, Zach Harrison was asked about getting into the first round. He said that'd be great. I just, that doesn't sound like a realistic scenario for me, even with super long arms. There's just going to be too many edge rushers who are, above him in in some other areas but i i think second round would be really good for him and that does feel feasible and i think it's third round at worst but then when you get into situations where he's smart he's got his stuff together he didn't do anything except do his job every day at ohio state and he can you know stand in a hallway and touch both walls at the same time so there's a there is a lot to like with Zach Harrison. I don't have like necessarily great insight from his interview. I wrote a story about it at cleveland.com slash OSU. You can go read it. It's the same kind of stuff that we've talked about his whole career. I did ask him about, you know, the idea of you could have been here a year ago and you stayed. And he said, I thought I wasn't mature enough. And I figured out hydration. I figured out nutrition. I figured out film study. I got better at all the details that will make me a better player. And I'm gonna transfer that to the NFL. He did say I didn't have Chase Young stats but I do think I make an impact. So the, again, those are kind of the things we always talked about with Zach Harrison. I just noted, for instance, his career tackles for loss is fewer than the single season record at Ohio State for tackles for loss. His career sacks is fewer than the single season record for sacks at Ohio State. So that's a four year where it didn't match up to what some guys did in one year. Now the guys who did that were Chase Young and Mike Vrabel. Like, okay, those are monsters. Yeah. We get it. So it's not a criticism, but there is something that you have to find here that is somewhere in between raw production numbers and maybe not quite ridiculous edge athleticism in some ways, but also really good football, really good person, really long arms. And so then it's, I think, how a team – chooses to look at him and do you accentuate the things that are very positive about him or do you accentuate hey maybe why wasn't there a little more of this and and I think either are real but there's no doubt this guy's a good football player but I am very curious of all the guys Nathan like I'm curious to see how the NFL sees him which we've kind of talked about before I wonder how much he's enjoying this evaluation process because it's the first time in four years where he's just really being evaluated on his own merits. I mean, he'll never in the Ohio State conversation get away from a comparison to what other people thought about him. Like, that's what he's been judged about this whole time. It wasn't, you know, the expectations he came in with are not ones that he lobbied for. He just went out and played football, and people said, oh, he's this good. And then, as you said, like, those numbers that you're citing 
are not a criticism. They're just an accurate analysis of, of what he was able to do over the course of his career. And it's why I think ultimately that that ceiling is there, why he probably can't get in the first round, because teams are going to have legitimate questions like, oh, well, do we have to use a, a an edge rusher specialist, a, a pass rushing specialist for this guy on third down or second along, whatever? Like, is he only a two down defensive end? And if so, even if he's great at that, does that cap where he's going to go in a draft situation? I think that's a completely fair way to look at it. And, and the only reason it sounds like a criticism is because we're still talking about a guy who came in with the five-star expectations. So uh, I, I think he's got a, a future here. I think the right uh, system too. I, there's, there's, I'm sure there's examples, and I'm not enough of an NFL expert to know it, but I'm sure there's probably guys who have been very similar players who, who've stuck in the NFL for a while by just having a lot of value on those early downs. He was the number 12 overall recruit in the class of 2019 by the 247 composite ratings. The 11 guys who were ranked ahead of him in that class, three of them went in the top 10 picks last year that they hit, did their three-year thing and got out. Derek Stingley Jr., the corner from LSU, Kayvon Thibodeau, the edge guy from Oregon, and Evan Neal at offensive tackle all hit and left. Four of the guys who were ahead of him are still in college and all transferred schools. One guy's in junior college and kind of washed out. Other guys, like Spencer Rattler was ahead of him, right? So it's like, well, what's, would you rather have Spencer Rattler's career or Zach Harrison's career? It's like, all right, well, Spencer Rattler was a Heisman favorite, washed out, lost his job, had to transfer to a lesser school. I think I'd take Zach Harrison's career, right? So, and then there are the other three guys are in this draft with him. And of those other three guys, one's ranked ahead of Zach Harrison. It's Nolan Smith who was at Georgia, had some injury things, but just like jumped through the roof and is probably a first-round pick. He was the number one player in that class. And then the two other guys are behind him. So it's one of those things, Nathan, where, okay, Zach Harrison was the number 12 overall recruit in the country. Did he become a guy that was three years and out into the first round, like Chase Young did, like the Boses did? No. Was he a guy who kind of had some stuff happen that caused him to transfer and go try to find himself somewhere else? No, he was not on either end of those. He was a good player for four years. Who's here now is going to go the second or third round. So it's a reminder because it's easy to remember, Hey, he's not Chase Young. Hey, he's not Derek Stingley Jr. Hey, he's not Kayvon Thibodeau. But also you have to remember, Hey, he's not the guy who wound up at junior college. He's not the guy who transferred to Arkansas and might get picked in the seventh round. Right, Not everybody who was ranked ahead of him as a recruit is a gazillionaire right now. Zach Harrison, it just was a reminder to me of like, he's kind of just kept doing what he does, which is be good at his job. And again, in the end, sometimes when you're surrounded by – college football has become more chaotic. That's not necessarily bad. The, the apple cart has been upset. It's not the status quo. It's not a bunch of coaches and administrators in charge telling these guys – you don't get paid, do your thing, you can't leave, whatever, right? But there's just more flux. This guy is anti-flux, right? People were sort of asking like, hey, you grew up in Columbus, you went to Ohio State, now you're now you're not going to live in Ohio State, you know? And, and then he was like, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to sort of spreading my wings a little bit. And then people were like, oh, well, what if you went to the Browns? You don't want to go to Cleveland? And he was like, no, I just mean there's not a pro team in Columbus. So I'm going to live somewhere <laughs> different. Then Columbus, maybe it's Seattle, maybe it's Miami, maybe it's Cincinnati or Cleveland, but whatever it is, it'll be different. The guy is anti-flux 
And and sometimes, Nathan, you've got to stand up and say, I'll take that guy because I know what's up. Maybe there's not some ridiculous ceiling there, but I also know he's not going to be a wasted pick. And I feel like Zach, Zach Harrison embodies that maybe, you know, maybe as much as any guy I've been around at Ohio State because he just came and was good for four years. I want to I fold this back into the conversation we were having earlier because I think there are some parallels here with, with Hickman and Brown, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, but it's it, Ohio State's defense has always had guys like this, right? Even the really good Ohio State defenses have always had guys who were the next step down. They were going to be middle range, you know, middle round draft picks, lower round draft picks. Even if they were starters, they did their job. They just didn't have that ceiling. This is the problem that Ohio State's defense has had the last couple of years is that these are the guys who've had to kind of define that defense and be the be the best players on that defense. And that put a ceiling on, on how good that defense could be. So uh, th- these guys need to be appreciated for what they accomplished over the course of their career. They're not you know, no, he didn't do what Chase Young did, but nobody does. So um, let's have an appreciation for uh, a guy who, who gave four good years, I think, to a program. So those are the three players that have met with the media so far. Friday morning, we're going to talk with CJ Stroud and we're going to talk with Jackson Smith and Jigba. And we are going to bring you all of that on a Saturday pod. It will be the sixth pod of the week. And within that, I will talk about All the things that NFL GMs and coaches said this week about how they evaluate quarterbacks, the teams that that feel like they're definitely in the quarterback market, trying to read between the lines of who might be interested, particularly in CJ Stroud. And and I do, we want to talk about like where this guy is going to land, right? I think it's, I think it is very interesting and we're going to have, we have more information about that than we had previously when we talked about CJ Stroud. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba, we have no information. And this has become very interesting. We're already getting the push from Ohio State people like, hey, don't forget about this guy. Nobody's forgotten about him. He just didn't play. But there's also not a Jamar Chase here in this draft. There's also not a Devontae Smith in this draft. There is not sort of the super top. There's not a Marvin Harrison Jr. in this draft. And maybe Jackson Smith and Jigbo would have been that had he played this year. But Jordan Addison and from USC, who did transferred from Pitt, and Quentin Johnson from TCU – are the two guys that maybe are ranked ahead of Jackson Smith and Jigba, and they're just not that. So there is room, I think, for Jackson Smith and Jigba to still maybe tell people I'm the number one receiver in this draft. But it's also not a slam dunk when you missed your whole last year, basically. So his testing is really going to matter, but we're super curious to hear what he says. So we will be texting that out early Friday morning. 614-350-3315. If you sign up, you get a two-week free trial. And you can get that info. Nathan will be firing out like what CJ said, what Jackson said, all the relevant things that we learned. We'll be writing about it at cleveland.com slash OSU, and then we'll have a big pod focusing on those two guys on Saturday. Don't normally give you the weekend pods, but we will. And then on Saturday, we will talk with Paris Johnson Jr., Dewan Jones, and Luke Whipler. We will then watch the testing Saturday and Sunday and let everything play out, and we will come back with one final combine podcast on monday about those ohio state offensive linemen but for now we wanted to get these three defensive guys because we talked to them first saturday is going to be big what do jackson and cj have to say nathan and i will bring it to you for now on behalf of nathan baird i'm douglas maurice and that was buckeye talk <laughs>